This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Beyond Zero is a not-for-profit research and education organisation. We design blueprints for a zero-emissions economy. As climate change becomes more apparent, leaders will use these well-researched plans that show a transition is possible from a 19th-century fossil fuel-based economy with its climate-changing emissions to a zero-emissions 21st century. Check out our website for reports on zero-emissions energy, zero-emissions buildings and zero-emissions high-speed rail. Podcasts of our talks with a who's who of climate change action are all available at Beyond Zero Emissions. If you have some ideas for this show, contact us at radio team at beyondzeroemissions.org. Welcome to the Beyond Zero Emissions show. My name's Erin Jones and I'm your host this afternoon. Uh, it's pretty been a pretty eventful few days here in Victoria, that's for sure, with the state election on the weekend. And uh, it was a fairly conclusive result with um, the state Labour, um, Victorian Labour Party government retaining their government, um, which from a climate perspective was a great outcome. The Victorian Renewable Energy Target is really kicking goals and is um, probably at the forefront of the transition across the country and is certainly leading the way with other states also putting in state-based renewable energy targets. So it's great to see that that will continue. Uh, yeah, so pretty interesting. But we've got a pretty full show today, so we'll kick right along. We're going to start by doing a little bit of analysis um, with the Climate Council around some of the uh, policy positions that have been put forward by the federal Labor opposition. Um, so we're really going to be starting to get into the nitty-gritty going forward about what climate and energy policy is going to look like at a federal level and certainly what happened here in Victoria it'll be interesting to see if that flows over to the federal level. Um, we're also then looking at um, some EV news, the EV Expo in Brisbane was held a couple of weekends ago, I was um, lucky enough to be up there and be able to attend so we're talking to one of the organisers of that and then we're going to round out the show with talking to my Michael Lord, the Head of Research from Beyond Zero Emissions, about some of the work and some of the awards that BZE has been fortunate enough to be um, honoured with this year for the work that they have done. So look, without delay, let's get on with our first interview. Listeners, I'm very pleased to have Petra Stock on the line. Petra is from the Climate Council and she is their Senior Energy Analyst. Welcome, Petra. Thanks for having me. Now, we've had a pretty interesting time here in the last few days in Victoria, obviously with the state election. Um, but what we want to primarily talk about today is um, some policy that was put forward by the federal Labor around energy and climate change. So maybe if you can just start by outlining for our listeners what that entailed, and then we can go through in a bit more depth about um, 
what each of those elements entail and, and what the um, flow-on benefits or limitations they have um, with them. Sure. So last week the Federal Labor Opposition announced their policies to deal with climate change uh, for the electricity sector and there were four key parts to that. One was an additional $10 billion for the Clean Energy Finance Corporation. So that the Clean Energy Finance Corporation is like Australia's uh, green bank. They're already in place and already funding renewable energy projects around the country, and that would double the CEFC's pool of money. The second part was um, establishing a just transition authority. So that was around... Uh, statutory authority to help communities which currently rely on coal-fired uh, power generation for, for a large part of their kind of local local jobs and local economic um, importance to their local economy. So that authority is around helping those communities transition away from coal as coal closes in this country and to diversify their local economies um, and move into different types of jobs. And, and that's uh, you know really important. We've actually done quite a few f- um, features on this radio show around things like what's happened in the Latrobe Valley um, and a lot of the uncertainty around um, advising those people. And you know people take on mortgages and and loans and all the rest of it uh, with a view of of what's going forward with their employment. And certainly that's caused a lot of unrest in those communities. So I think this is a really important um, authority to to get established. Absolutely, and we've seen some cold closures in Australia which um, haven't had that transition plan in place beforehand um, and, uh, and have had to sort of deal with things in a reactive manner. So it's really great to see that the federal opposition put forward this authority to help actually um, get ahead of those um, cold closures and start planning for those communities. And there is there much detail to that at this stage? And what would that um, would look like? or uh, Not a lot of detail, although uh, I believe they're, they're proposing an authority that would work in conjunction with um, similar authorities in, in states like Victoria um, with around 70 staff. So a relatively significant um, commitment to helping those communities transition. Um, there were two other elements to the announcement. One was around subsidising battery storage in about 100,000 Australian homes. So we know Australia is already a leader in rooftop solar. Um, millions of Australians have solar on their rooftops, um, helping them to take back control of their electricity bills. So this announcement was around... Um, helping more of those households with solar to install battery storage and that's good for those households because it would allow them to use more of their solar power, for example, by storing it and using it later at night time. Um, but it's also good for the broader electricity grid um, and enables us to have higher amounts of solar power in the grid. Yeah, and that batteries and um, we've seen with... With the Tesla big battery, the impact that that's had on um, grid stabilisation and um, you know lowering peaking prices. Absolutely. So we're starting to see that around Australia, um, with states taking the lead. But uh, good to see this announcement. I suppose if 
Labor is elected, um, helping to boost battery storage at the household level. Mm. And the final part of their announcement was um, a recommitment to a 45% emissions reduction target, um, which is something we've heard before from the Labor Party. Um, so they were recommitting to that target, which is obviously better than the current emissions reduction target that we have in Australia. But in terms of acting on climate change, not really enough. Um, so from the Climate Council's perspective, we'd like to see that target set higher. Yes. And what, uh, what sort of figure makes it effective? Uh, well, the Climate Change Authority back in 2015, I believe, recommended a target of between 45 to 65%. Um, so Labor's at the lower end of that range. So, um, And obviously, there's been several years since then where we've continued to... Mm. Australia's emissions have continued to grow, so we really need to rapidly start cutting mm. our emissions. Yeah, those figures need to be a lot sharper, and every every year of delay means we've got a bigger bigger um, target to address. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Look, I mean, batteries. Uh, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, rooftop solar has just become uh, it's a huge success story in Australia, and it makes such absolute sense. And so, for for most householders, the next logical transit um, move from from having solar is to move to batteries. This sounds like a, a good um, uh, development, but when you kind of put it in those those context of, of the numbers, a hundred thousand sort of a, a um, drop in the ocean, really. When we know how many households do have have solar and will probably be looking to transition to batteries, uh, is there any more detail in the policy about how these hundred thousand homes will be targeted? Um, there's not, and it's interesting you say it's a drop in the ocean because if you look at what some of the state governments are doing um, in South Australia, they already have um, a subsidy plan to support tens of thousands of households uh, taking up battery storage, and, and same in Victoria. So um, certainly it's, it's a positive development, especially helping to increase energy storage take up in some of the other states around Australia um, but you know we could always go further but it's certainly a good start yeah um, look I, I think it is and I think um, most people that have have got solar um, yeah as I mentioned you know I think their next logical thing is is, is moving towards batteries and as we see battery co- um, costings come down that will be where most people kind of transition to as well yeah, so I think if you put all of these announcements together, it's a fairly significant um, proposal from the federal Labor opposition, especially when you contrast it to what we have currently, which is essentially no policies to tackle climate change at the federal level in Australia. Um, so good to see a bit of bit of movement um, and, yeah, heading in the right direction. Yeah, and just going back, so the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, that additional $10 billion would be a doubling of the current budget for that Green Bank, is that correct? That's correct. So um, we've already seen a number of projects that the Clean Energy Finance Corporation has supported around Australia, um, helping to fast-track large-scale solar and wind farms, 
basically providing them with an alternative source of finance um, if, if, for example, they can't get financing from some of the big banks, um, that Green Bank helps more renewable energy projects get up around the country. Um, these are already commercially viable projects, just looking for financing, um, and that really helps to fast-track the rollout of renewables across Australia. Yeah, so it's actually quite a good return for taxpayers as well because, as you say, these are projects that are commercially viable but, but maybe just um, aren't yet common um, investment products for, for your traditional banks, um, but not to say That's that That's exactly they're... right. And those projects that are funded by the CESC both pay back um, the capital cost and then uh, interest. So you're right, Australian taxpayers are actually benefiting both from having more renewable energy but also from um, the income from some of those projects over time. Yeah, excellent. Okay, so on the whole, a pretty good report card but um, the emissions reduction target really needs to be beefed up. Yes, and um, Labor's indicated also that it will make some announcements in other sectors such as transport and agriculture and I guess that's another area we really need to see um, some policies on starting to cut our emissions in some of those other sectors. Yeah. Um, we don't have those current policies currently from the federal government and um, nor have we yet seen them from the opposition. So. No. We'll definitely be keeping an eye out for those those next announcements. And certainly some of the work that Beyond Zero Emissions has released this year about electrifying industry, um, what we believe needs to be continually um, pushed and, and continue to get the message out there is the fact that we need to move away from gas. And our research clearly shows that that is uh, doable now. Um, our head of research has been um, in discussions and presenting that work at a number of industry conferences and to the Australian Industry Group uh, and to various government departments. That It's not just about getting gas prices down, it's actually about moving away from that. So it'll be interesting to see um, whether the federal Labor government um, picks up on that as well. So it's, and it's, look, it's a pretty big change. Um, it's, it's fairly new work that we've done to show that, that that is a possibility. It's certainly a huge opportunity. And I think we're already starting to see a number of businesses ranging from small businesses to very big business in Australia already shifting to renewable energy mainly as a way to take back control of their electricity and gas bills. So um, it's certainly an opportunity, uh, both in terms of cutting our emissions, but also helping those businesses to control their their costs. Mm, exactly. And, I mean, you know, obviously businesses want, um, you know, to control their costs, but what's more important to many of them is actually uh, controlling the volatility, which they haven't had control yeah. of because that, uh, you know, makes forward planning almost impossible with the level of volatility that we've been dealing with. So we've obviously just had a Victorian state election um, over the weekend, um, and that was uh, probably a much stronger result than many people predicted in terms of the outcome and, and returning the state Labor government. Um, certainly Victoria's been at the forefront with the Victorian renewable energy target, 
and it will be interesting to see how much energy policy flows on into the federal context, but certainly in the Victorian context, and not that everyone vote on, voted on this one element, um, but the policies were effectively you know, chalk and cheese. Um, we've seen the Victorian renewable energy target um, making great inroads, creating a lot of employment, new projects, the success of the reverse auction process, uh, and in comparison, the opposition really, well, they were going to get rid of it. So, yes, and <laughs> proposing to build new gas plants as well. <laughs> yes, so th- that was pretty, uh, you know, a pretty interesting outcome. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether or not they've got a more updated energy policy the next time around. Um, well, certainly Victoria's been one of the leaders um, in renewable energy, but if you look across all the states and territories, um, the work that is happening at the state level is um, far and away in advance of, of the federal government. States and territories are really leading on renewable energy. Yes, and ma'am. Victoria is, is one of the states which has really done the most in the past 12 months um, in terms of supporting renewables. You mentioned the, the latest auction um, to support new wind and solar projects across the state, but also... Um, uh, powering the tram system with mm. 100% yep. renewables. There's been a lot of very large announcements in Victoria just in the last 12 months. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we certainly can't say that uh, that's the main issue that Victorians voted on, but um, it was certainly in the mix and um, and and... The outcome reflected uh, what we know is that people support renewable energy. Yes, exactly, and you know we've um, spoken about that on the show previously. And the the social research that's been done, it's something like well into the seventy percent of people want to see governments taking more and stronger action on on climate. So. I think, you know, politicians need to start uh, believing that research and, and putting policy in place accordingly. Yes, and let's hope uh, we continue to see uh, similar efforts from the Victorian government going forward. Mm. Um, it seems likely that we will. I know one of the things we're, we're keeping an eye out for is um, the report back from the government on its interim emissions target. So that'll be a first um, first look at, at the direction the state government um, will be heading in. Yeah. Well, look, I appreciate your time today, Petra. Thanks for your commentary on um, these, these new policy position that's been put out at a federal level. Um, coming into the, the next election, uh, we'll be obviously looking into these things in a lot more detail, so maybe we can talk again in the future. Yes, and especially if we see some of those announcements in other sectors to clean up industry and transport. Yes, exactly. Okay, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Cyclones is pretty grim. Shock change. Do you ever feel like just switching off? Well, don't. Switch on to Beyond Zero Emissions Community Radio Show every Monday at 5pm on 3CR and beat the doom and gloom to find out the latest actions and research in your community. VZE Radio at 5pm on Monday. Turn the tide, literally. 
Listeners, you're on the Beyond Zero Emissions radio show, and I was recently in Brisbane and had the pleasure of attending the Australian Electric Vehicle Association Queensland branch EV Expo. And I'm pleased that we've got one of the organising committee members, Gary Crichton, on the line. Welcome, Gary. Yeah, hello, Erin. Uh, thanks for having me on your show. Pleasure. No problem. Um, look, it was great to get along. I happened to be in Queensland. I actually get along to the convention centre, what was it, a couple of weekends ago now, uh, to the EV Expo. Can you just outline to our listeners how long the Expo has been going and, and which what number are we up to for this year's event? Yeah, OK, yeah. Um, well, it's, a, it's an annual uh, convention expo um, coincides with the AGM, usually around each October, November. Um, each state of Australia has a turn at it. Uh, Queensland last had its turn in 2011. Um, next year, for example, it's New South Wales' turn, so it'll move down to Sydney. Um, the annual event's been going for many, many years. Um, as I mentioned, we had it 2011. Um, for this year's event, um, it was a pretty big call, I guess, to upgrade the convention and expo to a, a world-class venue, I guess. Um, we took it out of the, the neighbourhood park or the you know, more informal setting to a, a world-class venue like our convention centre here in Brisbane. Um, we made that decision on the basis of the market evolving. Um, mass market models were you know, very close to being released. So we took that big call and um, took it to the next level. It was the convention centre here in Brisbane. And it was a, a, a resounding success. Right. Was, we were absolutely thrilled with how it went both days, yeah. Okay, so so you ran over um, two days. The first day was more sort of a industry and talk and and government type, um, and then the, the second day was more of a public and and lots of people coming through the door just to, to kind of see the different vehicles. And you had a lot yeah. of you know whether it be cars, you had um, trucks, a lot of e-bikes. Uh, there was also a motorboat. Um, so there was, it really went across the yeah. whole range, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the, the Saturday Public Expo, which was a free public expo day, um, it was really electric mobility, I guess. As you mentioned there, everything from a 14-tonne uh, rubbish truck, um, which was from one of your state-based companies, Sea Electric, um, down to that small mobility stuff like scooters and, and e-bikes and whatever. The, um, the Friday conference day, I mean, as you mentioned, your trade industry government, um, and I mean, we really had a, a, a high quality assembly of speakers on that day, um, and to, to gather something like 270 odd delegates, um, it was a pretty full on conference day. And, uh, we, we were thrilled with the crowd we had on the Friday for the delegates, and, uh, then the public expo day, um, yeah, there must have been in the order of five and a half, six thousand people go through on that day. So we were pretty stoked with uh, with the attendance we had, yeah. Yeah, and how did that compare with, say, last year's event elsewhere and then your event back to 2011? What sort of growth are we seeing? Oh, compared to 2011, Aaron, when, when we last had it in Brisbane, I mean, just the, the range of models and, and what was on display. Um, gee, I think, I think we had probably uh, um, one of the very early Mitsubishi YMF cars and a few home-built cars. There was an electric boat back in 2011, um, and a couple of trade stalls. Um, it was held in Brisbane, King George Square, in the public uh, plaza there in the centre of Brisbane. Um, 
but yeah, much smaller range. So the evolution in that seven years was huge. Um, last year's event was down in Tasmania, of course. I didn't attend the Tasmanian event last year, um, but yeah, it would have had a, a good sprinkling of models, um, and there was a, a drive day out in the in the in the country of um, Tasmania. So it was a, a different kind of event, uh, being you know out in the field as such rather than in a convention centre as we had this year. Mm. And I think that was that was great in the fact that, you know, you, the committee had made a decision to kind of upgrade the event to a really, um, as you say, a world-class facility at the convention yeah. centre there. And you have a lot of passing foot traffic. There's a variety of other events that go on there, and it's right in the middle of the city for exactly, people that don't yeah. know. So. Yeah. I think there was probably a lot of people that just kind of happened across it as well and, um, yeah. you know, there was so much to see. The, the, the choice of venue is certainly an important one and there's always balancing to do, I guess. Um, you know, obviously that central location, as you indicated, was vital. Um, the cost factor of it, um, yeah, it was pretty daunting to, 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 at the outset, you know, what this event might cost. But, um, yeah, we, we, we got there in the end and we covered it, so that was... That, that was pretty important, yeah. Um, yeah the, the fact we had major sponsors involved, that, um, that went a long way to uh, enabling us to have that free public day on the Saturday, whereas people could experience and, uh, you know, be educated and informed about electric vehicles, because that's, that's a big aim of the club. To, um, to inform people about this new technology that's on the doorstep, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and look, it was great to see, um, I went down, I went to the EV Expo that was held in Melbourne earlier this year, I think it was back mm. in March, yeah. and look, yeah. that was great, and there was a variety of, of um, different uh, exhibitors there, but... Even in that course of, we're talking sort of, uh, what, six-odd months, a little bit over yeah. six months, the amount of manufacturers that were there at at your show, I mean, mm. in, in the Melbourne show back in March, there was Renault, who mm. were doing some, um, uh, there was a very popular, uh, it was at a go-kart track, so they had yeah. the ability yeah. to do rides on electric ve- uh, bikes and um and test drive some of the vehicles, the, the Renault yeah. Zoe particularly. Um, yeah. But that was it in terms of the, yeah. the big manufacturers. There were some private conversions and, and a few other things. But when we kind of look at that, within six months, uh, you had two of the Renault models, the Zoe and the Kango. Then we had two Hyundai models, the uh, Kona and the Ionic. Um, we had the Jag I-Pace. Um, we had the Sea Electric, who we've had on the radio before, and talking about their commercial and um, heavy vehicle, medium vehicles, so the trucks right. and freight, freight, which was great to see them in the flesh because I hadn't seen the the truck. I'd um, I'd spoken about yeah. what they were doing, but it was great to see it in the flesh. And then you also had uh, a private Tesla owner who had done the round Australia trip. So so it was great for people that yeah. aren't necessarily. Um, as familiar to, to start seeing a few models and having a few of the big manufacturers come on yeah, board. And, yeah. and in, in, importantly, I guess, there's some of those mass market models in there. I mean, you know, the, um, the Hyundai's and the Nissan's that are very, very close to release. Um, you know, they're not, they're not exactly priced for everybody yet, but they're getting, they're getting a lot closer in price to where people can start to, you know, seriously consider an EV to replace their, their fossil fuel car. That's right. Yeah.
Yeah, and look, I had a long discussion with um, one of the representatives on the Nissan Leaf uh, display. And yes, you know, obviously we're still looking at at a bit of price disparity. Um, But one of the things that we were talking about is what people need to consider is a, a looking at a total cost of ownership model. That's right. The whole so cost, yes. that's right. And uh, you know, even though the upfront ticket price might seem a bit higher, um, if you actually look at well, what is this vehicle going to cost me to run a month? And if we can kind of bring it back to that cost and you go, okay, well, my my lease or purchase or, or repayments may be a bit higher, but my fueling's a lot lower. So, you know, it's, it's kind of getting people to look past that ticket price at the moment, um, and hopefully those ticket prices will come down. But I think, you know, there needs to be some, some creative financing and lease packages put together which take that initial pain away for consumers. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We, we, we know overseas that um, an awful lot of overseas markets, um, leasing of, of electric vehicles and probably motor vehicles generally seems to be very prevalent, whereas in Australia, I guess, private people don't really go down that leasing path the way they do in North America, for example. Mm. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the education of the public and informing them about the many advantages of driving electric, um, it's a big part of it. You know, I, I'm, I'm probably thought of as an early adopter, but I also tend to think of myself as a car enthusiast or a car person. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's, there's a whole lot of little reasons that to make it a pretty compelling decision to go EV. Yeah. Mm, I know, exactly. And I mean, a lot of people obviously listening to this show will be fairly well versed and, and um, are, you know, probably in that early adopter. But, you know, it's going to be great to see more and more of these models come online. And I don't think people realise just how quickly that landscape's going to change. I mean, within three years, I think it's going to be a very different landscape that we're oh, looking absolutely. at. Absolutely, yeah. You, you mentioned Melbourne EV Expo there from last March and, of course, the upcoming one. And, yeah, that opportunity for test drives is, is really important. And, and that's probably a direction that we would like to take our next, um, our next event. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would expect uh, 2019, a venue where people can have that opportunity to experience you know, either a ride-in or a drive of an EV. Mm. Um, choosing choosing the venue is the difficult part, yeah. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Because you kind of, you know, you want the central location where it makes yeah. it very easy for people to, to access and, and just a lot of foot traffic. Um, yeah. But those things don't necessarily marry up. But anyway, that no. can be... Um, yeah, we've got to balance it with, you know, safety and, and, you know, insurance responsibilities and all that. I know in our discussions for our central Brisbane venue, um, a lot of the car companies and dealers, that was one of their early requests was an opportunity for test drives. Right. Of course, in central Brisbane, um, things like traffic and, and safety and whatever, it was not readily sort of achievable for us this year anyway. Mm. Yeah. I wonder if there'd be, um, you know, opportunity for a follow-up event where people come to that first event and have, have a look around and then book in and have another sort of weekend at, um, at a more appropriate event where, you know, people yeah. have... Um, yeah, committed yeah. to something like that. I don't know, but it, it, I think it is a really essential thing to actually get people in these vehicles. And yeah, um, yeah. as you say, I mean, you, you, you mentioned you're an early adopter, so you've been using an electric vehicle for a long time, and um, or relatively long time, and yeah, um, yeah. I think that can be the real thing that changes people's opinion is actually... Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I mean, I, you know, when we do our regular display days in parks and whatever, and, you know, green events and fairs and whatever... 
And yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm constantly saying to people that you know, once you try an EV, you, you don't give a consideration to going back to the old ways. Mm. Um, it's a real paradigm shift, and you just you just see the light and and the future that much better. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things that I've mentioned a few times on the radio show is the um, fully charged YouTube channel. I don't know if you're familiar with that yes, one. Absolutely, and, yeah, Robert Llewellyn. Yeah, yeah. And that's an excellent resource for people that you know wanting to to learn more about EVs. They yeah. review, and obviously we don't get all the models because it's a UK based right. show. But eventually, you know, we will get some of those. And that's and right. there yeah. was a brilliant episode back in I think February this year which basically stepped through the barriers to EV adoption and kind of when those barriers will become redundant. And I, I've, I've shared that with a few friends that aren't as familiar with the EV space, and it's I just sort of went through such a logical progression of... And, and obviously it was based on, on UK scenarios, but really the same principles hold true. The, the, the timeline may be a bit different in the Australian context, but... Um, yeah. But that was a, that you know, as you say, you know, you're a, a car enthusiast, and I'm sure there will still be uh, people who want to have internal combustion engines as mm-hmm. as car enthusiasts or as a, a um, you know, it doesn't mean that there'll be no internal combustion engines. But what that video stepped through is to show that in a you know relatively short time period of yeah. know, a decade or two, um, there will be. It might even be no. Actually, I think it was less than that. Um, yeah, it was yeah. the late twenty twenties. I think there, there will yeah. be no compelling economic argument to no. not have an EV. No, um, I think I think the, the opinion seems to be at the moment, like you know, listening to people at our recent convention and whatever, and you know, people that are more knowledgeable than me. But um, you know, something like 20, 2023, 2025, um, By that point in time, the, the cost equation will be basically, you know, similar. And, you know, it'll be absolutely compelling for people to make the shift by then. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. And, and then when you we, know, you know, take into account um, things like the, the the minimal servicing costs in comparison, um, it really does get people to look closer at that total cost of ownership. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I, I mentioned before about some of those other aspects that are a little bit not as tangible, I guess. But things like our fuel security, mm. um, you know, the fact that we can we can um, fuel an electric vehicle by domestically produced energy as such, um, and then there's the, the health aspects of it. One of our presenters at the Friday conference was a doctor from the Mater Private Hospital, and uh, he was a, res- uh, a respiratory surgeon, respiratory specialist, mm-hmm. and uh, you know he he told some pretty compelling you know, benefits, I guess. If, if the air quality could be improved by, you know, less fossil fuels and more, re- you know, renewable energy sources, um, you know, a whole lot of us would be much healthier. Mm. Now there were, there was a whole raft of talks on the, on the Friday and on the Saturday. Were they recorded? Are they available to the public? They were recorded. That's right, Erin. They are. Um, the club is working with our video um, audio people. To put them into a package of, um, of DVDs or you know USBs or however they choose to you know package them up. So yeah, they will they will become available. Um, it's only two weeks after the event, and the, and the people are still working on it. But sure. that is the plan. Yes, certainly. Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. Well, maybe um, if people want to follow up on that, they can go to the uh, EV Expo. Yeah, is that yeah. the best website yeah, to go to? 
Yeah, that would be the best website, yeah. That, um, how the, the club structures it, we, um, we keep the preceding year on, even when the upcoming year right. starts to take precedence on the website. So, yeah, um, you know, even in early, early 2019, they would still be able to check out the 2018 event. And, yeah, we'll have details on there about the, the recording because they absolutely were top-quality speakers, yeah. Mm. And I'm sure that contributed to the success of the Friday conference. Mm, yes, exactly. Um, so that would be the EV Expo, was it .com.au or what, which yes, is best? Just, yeah, the EVExpo.com. Okay, EVExpo.com. Okay. Yeah. Um, and we'll put a link on, on the show notes as well for people yeah. if they, they can't yeah. get that yeah, down. We, yeah, we, we certainly learned a lot on our, on our first big event there. And, um, you know, I, I, I think the experience we take out of it would be that you can't start too early preparing. We, we probably started, or we did start, around about January, February, straight after Christmas this year. And, you know, at the time, you sort of think, oh, you know, we've got stacks of time, this will be crazy. But there is just so much preparation to do. So, you know, we really do have to start early on these big events. And, and the other thing I think was we, we developed a communication or a marketing plan with the assistance of a great lady um, only probably three months before the event. And, and that would have been good to have in place much earlier um, because we, we were able to get some great promotion happening with this communications media lady. Um, but if we had had that plan earlier, it probably would have made the whole lot of sponsorship and all that a bit easier. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's certainly lessons that we took out of it, and, and second time around, it'd be a lot easier. I think. Yeah, and look, I'm sure you know as more and more manufacturers come online with with EV vehicles, um, mm. they're going to want to be involved in these these kind of events as well. So yeah, yeah, it'll be good one day, I think, when we when we finally see manufacturers promoting or advertising their electric vehicles mm. because that's something that I believe doesn't really happen much overseas even. Um, that, you know, their, their mainstay is still their internal combustion models and uh, although they tend to talk about EVs and future models in the distance, um, I'm not always sure their heart is fully in it, you know what I mean? No, and I actually had quite a discussion just exactly about that point with the Nissan representative um, because it was a couple of years ago now, I was actually, um, I think at Maruka, that area, sort of um, one of the bigger Nissan dealerships in Brisbane there. And the guy actually was was quite helpful, and he he actually did know quite a bit, but I've consequently gone to other Nissan dealerships, and they were... (laughs) Less than helpful, is putting yeah. it kindly. And yeah. I did have quite a discussion with her about that because the fact is, um, you know, they, and they acknowledge that they're really going to put some effort into staff training around that um, yeah. and, and have the, the dealerships that put their hand up for EV being genuine and having the right staff and the right staff training in place. Absolutely, um, yeah, yeah. I think, I think club members that I'm familiar with, they, you know, they can all tell stories of people that go in to inquire about an IQ vehicle model, a, a limited choice obviously, but they go in to inquire about maybe an EV or a hybrid and, uh, you know, they're, they're virtually talked into uh, an alternative model, be it diesel or, or whatever. Mm. Um, but yeah, you, you mentioned this in there, and I think it is important that um, I do understand that um, virtually all Nissan dealers are going to be offered the opportunity to franchise the new Model E, which is a big improvement on, on the earlier generation model. Um, hopefully, as you said then, uh, the training and the backup um, supports all those new dealers, their EV model. 
Yeah, exactly. No, it's mm. good. Mm. Okay, so so obviously you you know this year's been been a great success. Uh, when's the next time you, you're looking at having it? Because you, you mentioned earlier that you hadn't had it yeah. since 2011. Is it yeah. going to become an annual event in Brisbane, or will it be a, a period of time until it comes back to Brisbane yeah. again? No, look, I, I think, Aaron, it, it probably will become an annual event. Um, what we've got to be mindful of is not too close to this present time of year, because that is kind of you know um, AGM um, conference timing for other states. But I would think probably up here in Brisbane, something like around mid-year, mm-hmm. probably when it's a little bit cooler. Mm. We, uh, we, we, we did have some requests from our interstate members about November in Brisbane. It had to be air-conditioned. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> probably for everybody's comfort, um, if it was going to be an outdoors venue for test drives, um, somewhere around the middle of the year when the weather is pretty good up here in Queensland, yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, that, that sounds like But, yeah, I, I would like to think we can do that outdoors venue. And, um, you know, offer the opportunity to test ride, uh, continue that good messaging of the advantages of uh, owning and driving electric vehicles, yeah. Mm. Well, and the, and the thing is, you know, this is a space that's moving so quickly that really um, you almost need to have something annually because um, yes. to have another yes. seven-year gap, you'd, you'd, the landscape is going to be just completely oh, yes. different. Absolutely, yeah. And I'm sure you'd be conscious down there in Victoria, I mean, charging infrastructure... That, that is something that I noticed in the lead-up to our event a couple of weeks ago. Um, there was barely a week or a fortnight went by where there wasn't a, a you know a news story about you know an electric highway happening or uh, mm. or uh, the private the private industry uh, doing something about charging infrastructure. Which, yeah. which all helps the cause. It's all great. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And look, the Queensland government, to give them their credit, have actually Absolutely. been a leader in this space. Absolutely, um, yeah. We're, we are very fortunate up here to have electric superhighway up the coast. Mm. And, um, you know, as you're probably aware, or you would have heard at our conference next day, that, you know, they do have funding in place to, to expand on those existing charges. So um, it's only going to get better. And uh, we are so fortunate up here in Queensland to have that in place. Yeah. Mm, no, excellent. Well, look, it's been great to catch up, Gary. I'm really um, pleased that the organising committee were happy with how everything went. It certainly seemed like like a success from the number of people walking around and, and enjoying the exhibits and finding out about um, you know something they may not have uh, been. What, what, what was it? Did you do any sort of surveying of your audience? Were most people fairly you know converts already, or some people completely new to it? Have you got any of that feedback? Okay. From, from talking to people, Erin, and from what you know, other members have commented, um, I think it was pretty much a cross-section. Mm-hmm. I know we were surveying people about where they heard of the event, mm-hmm. and, and it really was a, 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 a wide you know, choice or variation of where they, they found out about the event. And I think just looking around and talking to people, um, of course there were club members and, and converts already, but I think there was a, a fair swag of just general public just, you know, searching for information, mm. which is, you know, the club's big aim mm. to inform people about what they're missing out on. Excellent. Yeah. Now, look, if we've got people listening that are excited by what they hear and would like to actually become a club member, um, yeah. what's the best way that they can go about that? Well, you know, I, I would suggest hop on the website, um, AVA, uh, we'll bring it up in any search engine. Um, it's the Australian Electric Vehicle Association, AEVA. That's right, that'll bring it up. They can go to their state-based uh, branch um, and find out when their monthly meeting is. I mean, up here in Queensland, the third Wednesday of, uh, of each month, 
um, a bit of a break over Christmas time. But um, yeah, each each state has a monthly uh, meeting in the capital city, um, and they can take it from there. Um, membership is very reasonable, um, and importantly, they get to talk to people that, that have experienced it and uh, and know those advantages that we you know, both discussed. There. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Look, I really appreciate your time today, Gary. Congratulations to everyone involved in putting the event on, and it's um, great to see these things get bigger and better each year. Yes. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Erin. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, I hope your listeners you know, get some benefit out of their discussion. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Cheers. All the best. You're listening to 3CR Radio. So that was Gary from uh, the EV Expo in Brisbane. Now we will, um, I was hoping to play some music, but for whatever reason my music is not working, we might give it one more try. No, never mind. We'll get on with our next interview. Listeners, it's coming towards the end of the year and um, I'm really pleased that we can have Michael Lord, who is the head researcher for Beyond Zero Emissions, on the line to talk about some of the really important work that that, um, has happened throughout the year. So welcome, Michael. Hi, Erin. And the last time we spoke, we'd just had the Electrifying Industries Summit, um, and that was a really well-attended, successful event. So just fill our listeners in on um, what that work was exactly and what's been the flow-on from, from the launch of that work. Yeah, thanks, Erin. Yeah, we, we had a really successful launch uh, of the report at the Australian Synchrotron, and it was something new for the on-zero emissions. We did a whole day summit of uh, talking and conversation about the, the zero-carbon future. And we were launching our report, Electrifying Industry, which really tackles one of the, the hard-to-tackle areas of greenhouse gas emissions, which is manufacturing and the fossil fuels that are used within, uh, with, at a factory, usually to generate heat. So if you think of almost any, any material from plastics to metal to glass uh, and uh, most others, it requires heat. Gas or coal is burned to generate that heat. And we were saying, look, Australia's got unlimited potential to generate renewable electricity, and if we electrify these heat processes, not only do we eliminate the emissions, uh, but we can often uh, drastically improve the efficiency of the process, speed the process up, make it safer. There's a whole load of benefits. Um, so let's electrify industry. And the report goes into detail about how we could do that. Yeah, and I think when we talked last time, you know, a lot of those things which uh, have historically been done with gas, this really lays out um, some really you know, completely viable alternatives um, for renewable technology and, and a lot more cost-effective, isn't it? That's, that's right, yeah. That's what we were showing, that um, with the increased cost of gas and the, the decreasing cost of renewable energy and the efficiency you're able to build in when you electrify, Alan Finkel's called it the almost magical efficiency of electricity when applied to real-world tasks. Um, then the overall process becomes cheaper. So it's a real opportunity for Australia uh, to expand its manufacturing sector, not just to electrify existing industry, uh, but to but, but to grow it, because Australia will be one of the homes of clean, abundant, renewable energy. 
So yeah. since the launch, we've um, we've been busy promoting that research. Mm, okay, great. And, and how's that been received? Well, we've uh, we've been lucky to be invited to some big conferences. So the Energy Efficiency Council's conference in Sydney last week. Uh, I spoke at an All Energy in Melbourne, uh, one of the biggest energy-related conferences. Um, I was also involved in a podcast with the Australian Industry Group. They they do an energy podcast that they send to their members. So I was in conversation with their head of energy, Tennant Reid, last week. So. And we've been having conversations with public servants and ministers' advisors in uh, in different states around Australia. So we've been putting a lot of effort into talking, um, telling people about the report, um, and telling them that uh, gas is no longer needed for industry. Uh, I would say that people, what we're saying is very new. Mm. It's the first time anyone has ever said, "Look, industry doesn't need gas at all." Previously, the conversation has been since gas prices went up it's been how can we get the gas price down or how can we make industry use gas more efficiently and I think it's going to take some time before people accept um, and pretty different message that you know you're kind of looking at all asking people to make a 180 degree turn on that and that's right and some of these processes many of most of them in fact they've been done in this way for um, decades or hundreds of years or in the case of something like bricks thousands of years this is how they've been made you burn something and that's how you make the heat so we're talking about something completely different Uh, so it's going to take more than one conversation or uh, one presentation at a conference we're going to have to put uh, quite some time into this before uh, you know the the decision makers really get the opportunity that we're talking about yeah but there's I mean there's a huge opportunity there and as you say um, I mean Australia has the ability to be an abundant renewable energy uh, supplier and producer um, so that you know for some forward-thinking organizations um, there is a real opportunity to either expand or create new um, heavy energy use manufacturing with renewable sources. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So very few countries have the ability Australia has to generate this amount of uh, renewable electricity. So we're already ahead on that front. So then the question becomes, okay, so we can we can electrify things within Australia, but how do we convert it into a tra- uh, uh, exports? And we've heard people talk about we could export hydrogen or we could export the electricity directly with a long transmission line. Both of those are true. Um, But I think an even bigger opportunity is to do what you might call virtual exports of energy. So use that energy to make energy-intensive products like aluminium, steel, carbon fiber in Australia and then export it to the world. So it's... um, it's a chance for Australia to become uh, a, a, a centre of, of, of clean, modern manufacturing. Mm. And so you've mentioned, you, you know, you've spoken at a number of conferences and, and industry groups. Um, what sort of feedback are you getting from, from government? From government, uh, I would uh, characterise the, uh, the feedback as interested, but... Uh, you know, they're not asking us to write their policy just yet. Um, that's why I say it's going to take a number of uh, conversations. Mm. What we really want to see from government is uh, for governments to 
develop industry zero carbon industry strategy so to recognize what an opportunity Australia has and uh, develop an all-encompassing strategy around it so not targeting a specific industry that could use uh, renewable electricity be powered by renewable electricity but setting a, an investment framework uh, where a number of these industries can can arise and the the thing is if Australia doesn't do this despite our natural advantage other countries will so um, in, in our report we talk about Sweden and about how they're thinking of um, really innovative things like how to electrify steel production how to electrify cement production um, this is, these are really forward-thinking projects that are getting government backing, significant private sector involvement, and at the moment we're not seeing those in Australia, and that's what we want to see. Mm. Listeners, you're on the Beyond Zero Emissions show, and I'm Erin Jones, and we've got Michael Lord with us today, who's the Head of Research for Beyond Zero Emissions. And um, we're just talking about some of the important work that's come out this year, and, and primarily the electrifying industries work that... Uh, Michael's just been talking about what other key um, highlights have uh, you know the years are racing by Michael we're only a month away from Christmas um, what, what have been the other highlights for you and, and for, for the work that BZD has been involved in this year during the last year uh, I, I think how well the previous report Rethinking Cement landed and how we saw it influence um, various people involved in the cement concrete construction industry so the, the first kind of win we had was one of the recommendations in our report that, uh, that the sustainability um, ratings tools um, used uh, in construction give more emphasis to lower carbon cements um, so we saw the Infrastructure Sustainability Council of Australia um, that's, a, that's an organization that runs a ratings tool that a lot of large infrastructure um, around Australia now has to get this ratings tool. They, they started an innovations credit, basically implementing the, the technologies we were promoting in our report. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen a cement working group set up in Victoria, uh, which involves the cement industry, the construction industry, government, uh, engineering consultancies, also looking at uh, how they can implement the strategies in the report. And probably the, the most successfully uh, was Transurban, uh, you know, build and operate motorways here in, uh, in the US, uh, reading Rethinking Cement, and then uh, engaging Beyond Zero Emissions to say, well, how can we apply this to Transurban? Um, so they're, they're showing real ambition there, and we're, we're writing that roadmap for them at the moment. Fantastic. Well, that's good. And the other thing that um, a lot of our listeners may not know is that BZD also got a, an award this year, didn't we? Uh, yeah, and I was, I was forgetting that. <laughs> yeah, so um, another uh, organisation that read Rethinking Cement was uh, Prospect magazine in the UK. So it's a sort of political current affairs magazine in the UK. They have global think tank awards every year with a very eminent cast of individuals judging those awards. And the Beyond Zero Emissions won Best International Climate and Energy Think Tank at those awards in London in July. So we've that sitting in our office now, got pride of place, and uh, yeah, we were very, um, very proud to win that. Mm, that's fantastic. Well, listeners, um, 
Beyond Zero Emissions uh, is always open to um, your donation, whether that be a one-off or an ongoing monthly contribution. It's a... Um, Organisation that runs on the smell of an oily rag, but as Michael's just outlined, you know, has been recognised internationally for the work that has been done. So it's really important to um, keep supporting uh, the work that Beyond Zero Emissions is doing because now, as we're getting into more complex areas, um, not many people are tackling the sort of work that we've just been talking about. No one really is. So it's important that Beyond Zero Emissions can, can keep on. Picking goals and and um, making inroads and showing a, a way forward with uh, areas that we don't really you know think of for everyone you know everyone knows the obvious ones of um, solar panels and and uh, battery technology and things like that which are wonderful and which we need to be doing but some of these industry initiatives are, are absolutely cutting edge so it, it's um, great work congratulations Michael. Thanks, Aaron. And I should just say we've got a launch of electrifying industry in Newcastle this week. Um, so if anyone's in Newcastle, look out for that. That's uh, that's on um, on Wednesday morning. Fantastic. Sorry, Thursday Thursday morning this week. Right. And I'm sure if people want to get a bit more detail, they could go onto the BZE website, bze.org.au, and um, find out some details for that. That's right. Okay. All right, lovely to talk, Michael. Um, we look forward to seeing what uh, what work comes through next year. Thanks, Aaron. Thank look, look forward to talking again. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was a bit of a wrap-up from Michael Lord, who's the Head of Research at BZE, about some of the groundbreaking work that has gone on this year and um, that will continue into 2019. Um, listeners, this is probably the last show that I will be doing of the year. Uh, it's always great to bring you the latest news around climate and energy policy, transport, all sorts of things. Um, I'd really appreciate any feedback that you might have. Um, you can either contact the show via 3CR or BZE website or probably more directly easy to get me on my Twitter, which is at EJ4573. And I'd appreciate any um, feedback or ideas for things that you would like to see covered in next year's show. Vivian will be back next week and uh, then we'll be going into a summer series after that. So I've enjoyed your company this year and um, look forward to talking to you next year. I may be in over the Christmas period uh, if there's some breaking news that I think we need covering. Otherwise, we'll be into our summer series. So as always, um, keep well. Let's uh, keep pushing towards climate and energy solutions. And uh, as I mentioned before, Beyond Zero Emissions is always open to um, getting your donations. It's a independent think tank and uh, we rely on donations from individuals. We don't get any government funding. So it's really up to people like yourself and myself to keep funding the organisation. So, good to talk with you, and um, we'll see you again. Beyond Zero Emissions is a not-for-profit research and education organisation. We design blueprints for a zero-emissions economy. As climate change action becomes an emergency, leaders will use these well-researched plans that show a transition is possible from a 19th-century fossil fuel-based economy with its climate-changing emissions to a zero emissions 21st century. Check out our website 